Welcome to this podcast installment from the Women's Council of Realtors, Leaders Made Here. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to our Leaders Made Here podcast. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Kathy Watley, our 2003 National Association of Realtors president. Good afternoon, Kathy. You want to introduce yourself to us? Good morning, Madam President. Uh, First, let me congratulate you on your year this year. I know it's a great one and you have a lot that you want to accomplish. So I'm uh, looking forward to getting an update on how you're going with your goals. I'm Kathy Wantley. I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. I've been a realtor for more years than most of your listeners probably have even been born. Um, I got my license in 1969 and I was not quite 19 at the time. Uh, In fact, the only way I was able to get my real estate license because at that point you had to be 21 in order to be licensed in Florida. Um, I got married and it waived my juvenile status. So that's the only way that I got to actually get my license then. But I have been very invested not only in the real estate industry, but also in the Realtor Association. And I've had a lot of leadership opportunities provided to me through the association, most notably and most heartwarming, I think, the ones that have come from Women's Council. So I'm really excited to talk to you about it today. Absolutely. I know you are a wealth of wisdom and we want to know everything that you have to to say. So let's start back to, you know, you're 19 years old and you're getting into real estate. How was that back then? How was it being a woman in real estate back then? Well, there were not that many women uh, in the profession. And certainly being 19, I got my license, but I didn't really start working until I was 25. But let me back up and say, I come from a real estate family. My dad was Florida Realtors president in 1962. So I grew up around real estate and the association, which I think does make a difference. But when I got my license and started showing properties and all, every contract I wrote didn't go through. And they were good contracts, but for some reason, they just weren't accepted. And I was that, and I thought to myself, wow, maybe this isn't the right career path for me. But I wasn't afraid that I was failing. I just couldn't figure out why I, you know, I wasn't being successful. Um, looking back on it now, I think there was much more hesitancy to want to work with someone really young because most of the, the folks who were um, investing or purchasing homes were, you know, already, you know, much older than me. When you look at a 19 year old, you're thinking, and you're making the big, biggest investment of your life, you're thinking, does this young lady really know enough to help me? I fast forward to now, and I think it doesn't matter because I think people look at a young person and believe they've got the technical skills plus the technology skills to be able to accelerate their ability to be able to find the right home or the right investment. So I think the market is entirely different over the span of time. That's not unusual though. A lot of things are different now uh, than they were 50 years ago. So, you know, but it was, it was, it was a challenge, but I I never decided not to do it. Uh, I had small children at the time too. 
and when I when I got into to the business. And so juggling three small boys um, and going and showing property, I can remember the times when I'd get them in the car and we'd go to show a house after you know after five, and I'd say to all of them, "All right, we're all getting out of the car, and you're going to walk." Thankfully, if it was, it was a vacant house, it, that was the only way I could show it at night because if it was occupied, there was nothing that I was going to be able to do with three little boys and keep them in tow. But I would say to them, "All right, you all are going to sit in this room with your backs up against the wall." And you're not going to say anything and you're not going to touch each other. And if you do, while, I, while I'm showing this house, then there's going to be a whole lot of repercussions from that. So just, I mean, and to, fortunately, they, they understood that that was um, not a veiled threat from mom. So, uh, but, I, but I can appreciate, you know, folks that single moms, because I was single at that time, you know, juggling the uh, family life and, uh, and their real estate career. So touching on that subject, because a lot of our listeners are either single parents or, you know, they're, they're juggling two careers and children, and they do have to do exactly what you're talking about. Is there a piece of advice that you could give them on how to juggle all those balls of, you know, running a business, being a parent and, you know, bringing kids with you to showings, whatever you have to do, what kind of advice would you give them? I think the more your family, spouse, significant other, children, mom, dad, anyone in your family really understands what you're doing and the gravity of the the impact of their disconnecting with it uh, helps. So, you know, sometimes we take for granted that our our kids know what we're doing. And uh, here I have sons who grew up around the business, watching me, you know, for years and years in all of all of my real estate activities. And one of my sons, after he got out of college, he went to go get a mortgage. And I said, okay, did you do such and such? And he said, yeah, but you know, they keep calling me. I said, well, why are they calling? He goes, well, I'm not sure. I said, well, what are they telling you that you need to do? He says, well, they're talking about this paperwork. He didn't even understand the significance of how quickly you needed to do things, even though he'd been around me all my life. So I think to, to your point, the more you can help even young children and, and, and tell it almost in a, in, in a storyteller type way that, you know, this is what mom is doing, or this is what dad is doing that is, is requiring mom to do this. And this is how you're going to be the helper. And I mean, just really putting it in, in a framework that they can believe that they are assisting you in, in helping make a better lifestyle and, and a better home life for your whole family. Absolutely. So let's talk about leadership. You, you are not new to leadership because your father was the president of Florida Realtors, but how did you start your leadership journey? I actually got my very first opportunity from Women's Council. And you know, when I say that, most people, if, I, if, they, if they don't realize that I come from a real estate background, they think that was pretty normal. But you would have to believe, and again, in reflecting back, I, I would have believed that the association would have reached out to me. Here I've got a dad who was president at the local association, at the state association, but the first ask came from 
four members, four women who were members of our lo local women's council network. And they invited me to come to a meeting and join. Uh, four months later, the four of them came back and said, we want you to be president now. And uh, I chuckle about that because for someone who had never served on any committee anywhere to, to, to go from member to president is, is a leap of faith for the, of the members, not of the person, but of the members to say, okay, no matter whether you've got this background or not, we think you can do this. And that's a truly strong support network. They allowed me to, to learn a lot, uh, to fail gracefully at times. And I learned a lot about myself in that year. Uh, things that I could do well and other things that I didn't know how to do at all. And one of those things was delegate. And I think that the delegation part was one of the more critical things that I learned in the first year. Um, how to do it correctly, how to select the right people to put on your team. Those that you can select, the, the, the officers, you have no choice over. You may love them all or you may not get along with them all, but those, those individuals are elected by the membership. But the ones that you select, really, that is the entire battle. If you get the right people, you have won the battle because they're people that you can, can speak with. You feel comfortable reaching out and saying, what have you, where are you on this task? What have you gotten accomplished? How do I need to help you to make sure that we get, you know, get the goal accomplished? So I, I thought that was a, a real telltale thing. And learning that through Women's Council, which has no staff support, was an equally great learning uh, role. I know that all of the Women's Council members, when they step into that leadership role, you know, if you're back at your office, you've got staff support. If you're on a team, you've got team support. When you step into that president's role, you're it. You have member support, but that's all volunteer. It's not a, you know, a paid staff or a team type of environment. And that's that, when you learn to operate and handle things well in that environment, uh, it, it focuses you to detail. It focuses you to get organized. And ultimately, that rolls into things that help your business long term. So the things, the skills that you learn through Women's Council, because you are having to, to really oversee everything and put all the uh, connect all the dots, I found to be really, really important. I went from there at, at the local level to, to state president to Women's Council five years later. Hadn't been a local board president yet. That didn't happen until five years after that. And then went on to uh, run for Florida Realtors president-elect, and I lost. Uh, so I ran again the next year, and I lost again. And I thought I handled it pretty well. You know, you're always upset if, if you're if you believe that you are qualified and you're prepared to serve. There's always a disappointment when you are not if you are not selected. Uh, that doesn't mean that you weren't well qualified, although I can tell you there, time, there were times that I got to do things that I probably wasn't the most well qualified person, but uh, that's a whole different story. Uh, but I, my husband was just irate when I lost the second time. He was irate 
And I think that's also a lesson that if your listeners can appreciate, your family takes things harder than you do sometimes. We're able to move on. You talk about the transaction that you've been working on, that you or that you've, you've taken this customer out, you've shown them, you know, uh, house after house after house. They've written contracts on every one of them. Uh, they're one of 15 contracts and theirs isn't accepted the first time and they're one of 20 the next time and theirs isn't accepted. And after three or four times, I mean, you're dealing with the client who, and trying to help them not get buyer fatigue and understand, but your family gets very, very frustrated because they hear it too. Um, that happens in leadership as well. So I talked to him and after a couple of months, he said, if that's really what you want to do, if you want to try one more time, that's, you go for it. And uh, the third time I was successful and it was, I have to say that if it had not, the, the first two losses are probably the most fortunate failures I've ever had. Uh, because if I had one in either of those other two years, I wouldn't have been president of Florida Realtors. When all the technology broke, Florida Realtors was way ahead of its time in terms of what it could bring to the market in technology. We actually took something to NAR. At that time, it was called One Realtor Place. Members now know it as NAR.Realtor. Uh, but we actually created the prototype of a platform uh, for NAR. And because I was president, I was the one who did all the live demos uh, for all the, at all the NAR meetings. And that's how a lot of people got to know me. So timing is just unbelievably, you know, uh, unpredictable mm -hmm. in, in your volunteer life, in your sales life. You know, you can walk up to somebody and it, very fortunately, they mentioned they are interested in some real estate deal and you happen to capture them as, as their client. They may have a sister-in-law who's in real estate. They don't even think about her, you know, so it's it, timing is just crazy uh, in in our in our profession, but you know I've I've had a lot of very 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 lucky breaks, and I had two wonderful fortunate failures that actually I believe propelled me to be able to be fortunate enough to serve as NAR president in 2003. So I'm a lucky girl. So let's talk about the um, adversity of losing not once, but twice that, and then you ran a third time. What did you learn? And in the, that little trial of your life, what was the big, biggest lesson that you learned? A couple of things. Your friends will truly rally around you and help you. They help cushion that uh, disappointment. Uh, in fact, a lot of my women's council friends were right there with me back in 1992, and I want you to put this in, a, again, think about the time frame, 30 years ago, uh, there were not as many women even in, the, in a leadership role at that time. And I don't think some of the men were quite prepared for me to be a leader, uh, whether it was because they thought I had gotten too many lucky breaks, whether they just didn't still didn't you know think I was the right person but the first year I ran against a, a gentleman and uh, there were there were two other gentlemen who were running and 
uh, when I wasn't successful. The second time I actually was running against another woman and uh, Marie Powell uh, out of the central Florida area. She was a, a owner of a very large company, one of the large company owners. And when Marie got elected, I, I think that's what surprised my husband the most that, you know, it wasn't me, but I obviously wasn't the right person for the people who were ready to move people forward. The great thing about Marie was she was so, so supportive when I did become, because I was her president-elect the next year when, when I got elected, she was so supportive of me and did absolutely everything that she could to advance my abilities and capabilities to step in uh, to become president. But there's, there's a, always disappointment, but life has disappointments that tend to be overshadowed by the real opportunities that you get to really to, to move forward. If you that's that's what you have to do. You have to move forward. If I had been if I had not been elected in that third year, you know, would I have walked away from real estate? No. You know, I, I really hadn't thought about what would I do if I didn't get elected. I'm sure I probably would have changed my path a little bit, but People don't walk away from a career or, or a business or an association that they really love and embrace. Sometimes it's just, you're just not the right, your timing stinks. I, I am the biggest believer in timing that that's, that's just how I truly believe life runs. Sometimes you're the right person at the right time. Sometimes you are the right person, but your timing is awful. And sometimes you are absolutely not the right person, but it is almost as if God opens up this, this pathway of light beam that shines down on you and says, pick me and somebody does, and it's your time. And if you're not the right person and it's still your time, you can step up and you become the right person because you work hard, you surround yourself with the right team, you win that battle when you're making those choices and you will move forward in a way that you are just, you know, you look back and you go, I'm really proud of what we did. So moving on from Florida Realtors, how did you make that decision to step up to the National Association of Realtors and, and put yourself out there? It actually evolved from all of the live demos that I was doing for uh, One Realtor Place and the Florida Living Network. I was doing a lot of travel with that, meeting with a lot of people. Um, I had gotten to serve two years before that on NAR's executive committee, and that too was an opportunity given to me by the Women's Council. The way that NAR works, there are seats on the executive committee for each one of the institutes, societies, and councils. And each one of those groups puts forward three names to the NAR president. And then the president makes the selection of the individual who will serve for that institute or council for a two-year term. And there had never been anyone put forward from women's council that was not a past national women's council president. And I remember Beth Talbert calling me and saying, because I was very involved at 
the national level for women's council. I just had not decided to run for, for a women's council national office. But she called me. She said, we'd like to put your name forward. And I said, really? She said, yeah, uh, we would. And I said, that's great. You know, I, I honestly, I didn't even know what it meant. Because if you, until and unless you serve in that environment, you're, it's just kind of, you think you know what's going on, but you don't really understand. But when I was selected and the first year I went on to the executive committee, I can remember sitting in there thinking, this is where I'm really going to learn everything I need to know about the organization, where I can turn around and share that with members in a way that it can help them grow their business, know what to do in terms of leadership roles, what the issues are. And uh, I found I have always found the executive committee to be the most fascinating committee I could ever serve on uh, because you get to see the whole picture. And I would get in there and there would be men that say, well, why don't you call it the Leadership Council of Realtors instead of the Women's Council of Realtors? Norm Flynn, used to take, past president, used to say that to me all the time. I said, Norm, you know, there, that I appreciate that we are creating leaders, but we are the Women's Council of Realtors. And men are welcome and encouraged to, to join us. But our role is focused to this. And... I think I was able to be more vocal about it and they would talk to me more about it because I wasn't a past national president. So they didn't see me having necessarily a vested interest. I'd never been an officer at the national level. So I was just a member in their mind. And we would get into these candid discussions about the council and you know what their expectations were that they thought we ought to be doing versus you know where we saw ourselves heading. So, uh, you know, I, I found it to be a great, great opportunity for me, but it was given to me because of Women's Council. And that and the, and the live demos that I did were what opened the door to me to really think, I can do this. I have something to offer. I believe I can galvanize. I think I have a, a, a way to convince people to embrace whatever the cause is. And I think that's an important thing that most leaders have to realize. The higher up you get, the more you have to, no matter how high you get, you have to rely on the grassroots folks to implement whatever the issue, message, cause, goal is. As national president, you can set the goal, you can set your, your, your desire, but unless the local leaders and the local CEOs and the local members think that's a great idea and I'm willing to spend a little bit of my time to help achieve that, it goes nowhere. And I felt like I had at that moment, we were dealing in the same type of market that we are right now. I mean, we were dealing in listings that would be listed and you get 30 offers within 30 minutes. And people were asking the same questions, you know, how can I make my contract look better? Those were the media conversations I was having in calls. Uh, so it's, it was very, very similar. And like now, the housing affordability crisis was just off the charts in a challenge, in a challenging way for for. Uh, working class people who were trying to work in restaurants, hotels, 
couldn't live anywhere near where they worked. And so, you know, we thought we were, I had the ability to have a message that resonated with members and that they would embrace it. And they did. So I was timing, again, timing for me turned out to be really, really great. So if you had to reflect on all of your leadership journey, you have, I think if you open the dictionary and looked up leader, there'd be a picture of you there. Uh, <laughs> no, there would not. <laughs> it's there, there actually probably would, because it's not just being a leader in your own real estate business or being a leader in women's council or being a leader of the realtor associations, but being a leader in your own family. What is the biggest leadership lesson you learned along the way? That's a great question. And I wish I had a very succinct answer for you. If I was trying to uh, summarize what I think is happening best now for me that I've learned is that it's number one, it's okay to fail. And undertake things as a beta test and it and and tell the people that are participating with you that you're you know that that's how you're rolling with it you know if it if it needs to be modified it's okay to make modifications to it our NAR director mentor program evolved just that way uh, we had tried a number of things over the years and it really it, they just hadn't gelled and Andrew Barber, a good friend of mine in Florida, kept saying, you know, how are we going to hold people accountable? And the accountable part, I think, is what I want to drill down on here. Because if that is one lesson that I learned and that has continued to be more and more important to me over the years, is that we all have to be accountable. If you have taken on a leadership role, be accountable. Don't be tardy. Be account. Be on time. Bring in and and be prepared. Because as a leader, if you are having to go into a meeting, and I'll give you an example. If you've given a committee a responsibility, and they're to report to you by. 2 p.m. on Friday because you've got a board of directors meeting at noon on Tuesday and you want to have enough time from Friday to Tuesday to make sure that you understand what the committee is recommending to where you can take it to the board and there can be some type of action. There's enough information shared that there can be action. And if that committee leader doesn't get anything to you, not only at Friday at noon, but then you're sitting all over the weekend and then you get to, to Monday and you call the person and they say, oh, you know, I'm still working on that. We're trying to get it to you. And they get it to you maybe at 10 o'clock on Tuesday. You don't have time to well prepare. Worse yet, what if the person doesn't even get it to you? They say, I'm sorry, Kathy. You know, we just didn't have time to really nail this down. We'll get it for you next month. There has to be accountability. Don't, if you accept something, stand up and make it happen. And if you are running into challenges, because we all have things that come up, 
go back to the person and say, I'm having some difficulty in making this happen. And then as a leader, I could step in and say, let me see how I can help. Or do you need someone else? Would you like us to hand this off to someone? How would you like to handle it? What will make you comfortable, uh, committee leader, you know, to where you're not being thrown under a bus because life happens, you know, but don't leave the person who ultimately is needing the information out of the loop. The most frustrating thing for me is right now is when I go to an NAR board of directors meeting and I know I've spent a lot of time preparing and yet somebody sitting right next to me, I know will open the booklet for the very first time. They have no idea what's going to be discussed and they haven't really thought through it. But yet when we vote, their vote, their one vote counts the same as my one vote. And I want everyone's vote to be one that is informed and having given some reflective thought on it because we are making decisions that impact 1.6 million people's daily business lives. They deserve us to be accountable to them. So uh, whether it's in your leadership role, whether it's in a committee, whether it's in your business, if you're part of a team, you know, do what you have to do to be sure that you can deliver on time. So that's, I think, the biggest lesson that I have learned. And it is just, it's, it's escalated over time because I have found more and more times that I get more frustrated when people aren't accountable. Absolutely. And Kathy, we could talk to you all day, but I know we don't have you all day. Are there any parting words you'd like to leave our listeners with? I think so, yeah. I read something uh, a couple of years ago, Florida was having their women in real estate program. And there was a report that was put out. And I, so I'd like to share a part of that report with your listeners. And it was discussing leadership and people's desire to step forward and do something. And this part of the report just really captivated me. It says, for example, men often apply for a job when they meet 60% of the qualifications, but women apply only if they meet 100%, according to a commonly cited Hewlett Packard study on internal hiring practices. Think of the difference that 40% can make. At the very beginning of the job, a promotion process, Women aren't even putting themselves up for consideration. Every woman can begin to bridge that leadership gap simply by believing they're capable when the chance comes up for a new promotion or career opportunity. I could see myself in that. If I wasn't 100% qualified, I wasn't going to apply. I rethought that. I'm thinking, my gosh, if men think 60% is good enough. Why don't I think 60% is good enough? You know, it's, it's like that light shining down on me when I really wasn't the best qualified, but I can become the best qualified if just given a chance. And so I hope that all of our, our members will step forward. You have to work hard. You have to learn. You have to educate yourself. You have to constantly read and continue to become a better you because Every time you change, 
there is going to be a different version of yourself. The higher up you go in leadership, it demands a different version of yourself. So continue to learn, but don't be afraid if you, if you haven't quite met 100% of the, the requirements. Maybe at least some men will be on the committee making the decision and they'll think, okay, 60% is good enough. Thank you for enlightening with that, us with that and all of your wealth of knowledge, Kathy. On behalf of Women's Council, I want to thank you for your service to not only Women's Council throughout the years, but the real estate organization and the entire industry. You have made amazing impacts on so many people that you will never even know. And so we cannot thank you enough. It's been a privilege. I've been honored to to have the opportunity to serve. Uh, And I'm excited for all of you who are now uh, getting ready to lead us forward because great things are yet to come. Thank you for listening to this podcast installment from the Women's Council of Realtors. Leaders made here. 